as we prepare to receive instruction in God's word, let's take a moment to pray and to ask that God would prepare our hearts as well. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we are always so thankful for these wonderful times that you give us, times to receive instruction in your word, and to also be guided in the great truths of the faith, truths that you have preserved by the power of your spirit throughout the generations, truths which you have also had summarized in the confessions which we hold to, which have been passed down through the years. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the way in which you have used different individuals over the ages uh, to be instruments in your hand for your glory and for the building up of your kingdom. And we pray that as we place ourselves under the instruction of your word, uh, that you would give us receptive hearts and also a deep desire, uh, not just to understand these truths in an academic fashion at a head level, but that it would also really penetrate into our hearts. That as we talk about the, the true repentance that you desire to see, uh, that, we would, that we would live that out by the power of your spirit. That we would be able to not just sing the words of David in Psalm 51, but that also uh, we would experience that reality, the joy of salvation in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, this afternoon we're going to be looking at the truths of Scripture as we have them summarized in Lord's Day 3 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And I'd like to read in that context from Luke chapter 19, uh, the well-known story of Zacchaeus. Luke 19, the verses 1 through 10. A story that gives us a, a beautiful picture as well of someone who is repentant and what that looks like. Luke 19, the word of the Lord. And then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you turn to Lord's Day 33 of the Heidelberg Catechism, you can find that on page 549 of your book of praise. There we read about the true repentance or conversion of man.
What is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to his glory and not those based on our own opinion or on the precepts of men. Brothers and sisters in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, a few summers ago, I was reading a a book by Sinclair Ferguson, perhaps you're familiar. It was a book called Some Reformed Pastors and Teachers. And in this book, Ferguson was um, basically introducing uh, readers to the theology and the teaching of some of the prominent reformers over the past few hundred years, uh, men like John Owen, John uh, Murray, and John Calvin. And there was a quote in that book from Calvin in particular that caught my attention and is relevant for our conversation today. And that quote is this. Calvin said, Repentance does not merely begin the Christian life. According to Scripture, the Christian life is repentance from beginning to end. One of the things that I have come to appreciate just in reflecting on uh, the teaching of men like Calvin and Luther and other early reformers, is the central place that repentance played in their theology and in their teaching. And one of the reasons that repentance was just so central to their teaching was because they, they simply saw it as being central to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus from the, from the beginning of his life to, to the end of his life here on earth, his ministry and his message was consistently a call to repent and believe. In fact, the, the, the early reformers saw repentance as being so basic, so, so necessary when it came to the Christian life that you'll actually find them using terms like repentance and conversion and even at times terms like regeneration, the idea of being born again, using them almost interchangeably. Uh, because for someone to be, to be truly repentant, they obviously have to be truly converted. And for someone to, to be truly converted, they, they have to be born again. And yet, when you read their works, the, the Reformers never, they never really saw repentance as, as a one-time thing. And what's unfortunate, and I think somewhat troubling, is that repentance does not seem to have that same kind of prominent position in much of the theology of today. There still is a lot of talk about conversion. That's a term that you probably hear more often, or there will be conversation about even a conversion moment. And I have friends that I know who would be able to speak pretty openly about the, maybe the, the day, the place, the, the, the time 
when they truly became aware of their own sin and, and, and repented and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. In fact, I think you could argue that Zacchaeus would have had such a story. Zacchaeus is someone who, who would have been able to identify, he would have been able to know the day, the place where he was, the, the scenario when he came to recognize his own sin and his need for the Lord Jesus Christ. But not everyone has such a moment. And one of the things that we need to be careful of is that we can sometimes spend a lot of time asking the question, you know, when did you repent and and turn to Christ? When perhaps the more important question is, are you still repenting and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ? And we often talk about a conversion moment. That's language that you'll hear. But I wonder if we would ever talk about a repentance moment. I wonder how somebody would react if you actually went to them and said, well, when was the last time you repented? And yet, if we, if we, do, if we do accept the quote of Kelvin, which says repentance is the Christian life from beginning to end, And it certainly is a question that we should be wrestling with. And so I do want to place that before you this afternoon. I just want to ask you, when was the last time that you came before the Lord and you truly repented of something? That you acknowledged maybe a sin that existed in your life and that you sought His forgiveness? When was the last time you went to perhaps another person? Someone that you've wronged? And you acknowledged your sin. And you asked for their forgiveness. Well, the story of Zacchaeus gives us a powerful picture of what this actually looks like. What's interesting is we don't actually know a lot about the man Zacchaeus. In fact, you could say we only know three things about him. We know that he was a tax collector. We know that he was wealthy, and we know that he was short. Those are the three facts you get about the life of Zacchaeus in Scripture. But from the broader context of Scripture, we actually actually know more. We know, for example, that tax collectors in those days, that they were despised. They were essentially, they were Jews who had betrayed their own people, who had sold out, and who had bid on Roman contracts in order to collect taxes from their own people. And not only did they collect taxes, but they often collected a lot more than was required. And so they were lining their pockets. They were, they were getting rich off the backs of their own people. And so they, they were viewed as traitors and thieves. I think we need to remember that if we're going to reflect on the life of Zacchaeus, because we tend to see Zacchaeus as this cute little figure. And that's probably because of the well-known children's song. Right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man in a... We tend to see Zacchaeus as this cute figure. But the reason why Zacchaeus is included in the pages of Scripture is because he's a sinful man. Zacchaeus is someone who is going out and living as he pleases the way that we actually naturally also go out and live as we please. Zacchaeus 
naturally, he's not doing what God wants the same way that we naturally don't do what God wants. Which is why Zacchaeus in Scripture is actually a picture for us. His, his need to repent of his sins and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ is also a picture of our own need to repent and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, the catechism breaks this down into two different parts. It says that the true repentance or the conversion of man involves two things. It involves the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. And so those are the two aspects I want to look at this afternoon, the, the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. We might say that, that it involves, a, it's, it's an inward change of heart that leads to an outward change in character. A true repentance involves an inward change of heart that leads to an outward change in character. That's the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. So the first question is, what is this dying of the old nature? And the answer is that it's, it's a deep awareness. It's a deep awareness of our own sin and, and a hatred of it. The Catechism puts it this way. It says, it is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and to flee from it. This, this kind of repentance is not worldly sorrow that Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians 7. It's not a sorrow uh, because we got caught. This is a godly sorrow that produces fruit, says Paul, in keeping with repentance. And the fact is that, that this kind of true repentance it can only come about by the work of God. True repentance can only come about by the work of God, which is one of the things that I love about the story of Zacchaeus. You see, Zacchaeus, when you encounter him in Luke 19, you have to remember that Zacchaeus is just a man who's living his life. For Zacchaeus, this is just another average, ordinary day. He's out collecting taxes at his booth, wherever he might be, just, just gathering, building up for himself more and more wealth. And then one day, Jesus passes through Jericho. And Jesus, by this time, has built up somewhat of, of a following. There's a, there's a group, there's a bit of an entourage that's following Jesus. And so apparently Zacchaeus is curious. And so Zacchaeus goes because he's, he's kind of curious about who this Jesus is, but we know he's kind of short, so he can't see Jesus. So what does he do? Well, he climbs the tree. But you notice in the text that when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. The great irony of this story is that Zacchaeus thought he was coming to see Jesus when in fact it was God who had sent Jesus to come and see Zacchaeus. Such a powerful reminder of the grace of God in bringing sinners to repentance. Such a powerful reminder that we cannot truly repent 
unless God first intervenes in our lives. I mean, think about it. There were all these people on the street with Zacchaeus. There was this whole crowd that he couldn't see over. There were all these people who, let's be honest, they were more morally upright. They were more upstanding than this guy Zacchaeus was. And yet Jesus comes to him and says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your place. And that reality needs to grip our lives as well. The reality that out of all the people in the world, all the people even that live in this country, that God in his grace would send Jesus to come and and to show his love to, to someone like you or someone like me. That reality has to grip our lives by the power of the Spirit before we will ever understand repentance. And when we understand the grace of God, then one of the things that will happen is we will begin to hate sin. We won't, we won't just see sin as some type of a, a habit that we need to break. We won't see sin as a moral failure. We won't laugh about sin. We won't laugh, look back on, on, on the failures of the past and say, oh, if we were just kids being kids. Because when we understand the grace of God, then, then we will see sin in terms of the cross. And we'll understand that, that when we sin, that, it's, that it's, it's the nails that are going through the hands and the feet of Jesus and that we are the ones who put them there. And the more that we understand the love of Christ and the pain of our sin, the more that we'll begin to hate it and to flee from it. You know, occasionally as a pastor, I encounter people who come and who, who acknowledge, who want to acknowledge or confess the fact that they are struggling with a certain sin. You know, maybe it's anger, or maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's envy, maybe it's a matter of purity. And they come because they truly, they hate their sin. And, and they're struggling with it and they're trying to flee from it. And what's interesting is that often they will doubt their faith. Or the sincerity of their faith. And I just want to say, well, the very fact that you hate your sin and you're, you're striving to flee from it is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. It's evidence of the truth of Galatians 2.20 where we talk about how we've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me because the natural person loves sin. The natural heart desires to embrace sin. The natural heart even desires to cover up sin. And so when we've been crucified with Christ, it's a slow process and a painful process, but one of the things that will be evident is that we will hate sin and we will begin to flee more and more from sin. That is a, a picture of the dying of the old nature. But alongside of that, the Catechism confesses that there's also the coming to life of the new nature. There's the, the emergence of a new person who's very different than the old person. And the difference is this, 
the old person, as they die, they are, they, they are fleeing from sin. And the new person, as they emerge, they are fleeing to Christ. Those two things are happening simultaneously. As the dying of our old nature happens, we flee from sin. As the new nature emerges, we are fleeing to the Lord Jesus Christ. The new person loves Christ. The new person loves the things of Christ. Uh, The new person loves the body of Christ, loves the church of Christ. The new person certainly loves the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a new person who doesn't do anymore so much what they want. Instead, it's a person who more and more desires to do what God wants. This is how the Catechism puts it. It says, it's a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. And I love that simple opening answer. It is a heartfelt joy. It's a joy. You think of the story of Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus is in the sycamore tree. All these people surrounding him who, you know, according to their lifestyle, are more upright than he is. And yet Jesus comes to him and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. And I love verse 6 where it says, So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. He was surrounded that day. Understand this. He was surrounded by people who hated him. He was surrounded by all these people who had no time for Zacchaeus, but Jesus had time for Zacchaeus. And Jesus loved him, and Jesus said, I need to stay at your house. And the only appropriate response when you understand that is to receive him with joy. And this inward change of heart will lead to an outward change of character. And that's exactly what you see in the life of Zacchaeus, isn't it? It's not just that he he receives Jesus with joy, but it's also that it, it, it just causes him to change the things that he does. Because before, his whole identity, his whole person was caught up in his wealth. But now he's got an identity in Jesus Christ. And the first thing that he starts to do is is he starts to kind of give away his wealth. He, He wants to make things right. He says, Zacchaeus says, Look, Lord, I'll give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore it fourfold. He takes the one thing that used to define him, the thing that he used to love most, and he's just willing to give it up in order to make things right. And that's a picture of what true repentance looks like. True repentance always involves a cost. True repentance, it it does involve sacrifice. You know, if the sin that's been committed is a matter of finances, then true repentance involves a willingness to reimburse, like Zacchaeus, to pay back, to make restitution, to to make things right, not because 
of the perception of people, but as the catechism explains, because we want to live in accordance with the law of God. We want, we want to live for his glory. If, if, if the thing that's involved is a sin, perhaps, you know, that's related to relationships, then the difficult thing might be to come and to apologize, to acknowledge your wrongs, to, to, to actually sacrifice your pride in order that you might live in accordance with the will of God. If the sin is perhaps something regarding lust or purity, a struggle that one has, perhaps the sacrifice involves getting rid of one's smartphone. What a horrendous thought. But if we're truly repentant, if we're truly repentant, then we want to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, we're willing to sacrifice things because we want to live rightly before the Lord. And because ultimately, when we look at the sacrifice, the cost of what we're giving up, it simply pales. It pales in comparison to what Jesus Christ has given up for us. And so when we live a life of true repentance, then we desire to give things up, to make things right, to make sacrifices so that God might receive glory through the testimony of our lives. And when we're truly repentant, one other thing that happens is that we also desire for others to experience the joy of Jesus. You know, Zacharias Ursinus, who was one of the principal authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, he wrote a little, um, a little accompanying booklet, a shorter commentary on the Catechism. And in it, he elaborates on Lord's Day 33. He speaks in a bit more detail about some of, these, uh, some of these aspects of true repentance. And one of the things that he says will flow forth from the heart of someone who is truly repentant is a desire to convert others and to bring them in the way of salvation. He explains that if we truly understand the grace of God in our lives, then the only natural reaction is that we might more and more desire for others to experience that grace as well. If we were to use the story of Zacchaeus as an analogy, if we realize the privilege that we've experienced in having Jesus come to see us, then our one desire is that he might see others as well. And so more and more by the grace of God, as we consider the, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf, his grace and his kindness and his mercy. We as well will desire that grace and that kindness and that mercy for others as well. Amen.